It's the Media Buzz Meter with Howard Kurtz. Well, I had a good commute on Sunday. When I finished Media Buzz, I walked up the stairs from my basement and I was home. Uh, You may have noticed, if you've been following the show over the last month, we weren't on the roof. I wasn't having my hair blown. It wasn't cold. It wasn't windy. Actually, it was raining yesterday here in Washington, so that would have been a disaster. Well, no, um, this was the debut for my home studio, and i got to tip my hat to the technical crews at Fox who spent days working out the bugs. And, you know, there's so many things that can go wrong. I mean, it's just mind-boggling when you're trying to make a makeshift television studio in somebody's home. Uh, having to do with phone lines and internet connections and a company called LiveView. I mean, you know, even they can see the picture, but you don't get the volume right, all of that. And I had a lot of people say to me, well, you know, I couldn't really tell. It looked like an actual television studio. And I guess it now is. So we'll be doing that for a while. Uh, it's a lot to get adjusted to. But, you know, in this coronavirus era, that makes sense. I got a lot of reaction to the last 60 seconds of the program uh, where I just tried to speak from the heart and talked about these articles that I've been reading lately. One of them was in the Atlantic saying that America is now a failed state. The other one was in the New York Times saying uh, maybe American exceptionalism is no longer the case. We can't believe that anymore because of the flawed response to the coronavirus. And I just wanted to say, look, this was what I was trying to get across. You know, America isn't perfect. Freedom is never perfect. And our response, there's plenty to criticize, and we should have responded sooner. And all of the uh, divisiveness in the media and among the politicians, all of that is fair game for criticism. But I'm not buying the notion that America is not an exceptional country. Uh, And I've been inspired by the way that so many people have reacted to this. I'm not talking about political leaders here. I'm not talking about bloviating commentators. I'm talking about the people who deliver the packages to your house, uh, the volunteers who went to New York City to try to help out the situation there. Of course, healthcare workers, of course, uh, doctors, of course, uh, so uh, the grocery store clerks, so many people like that. Uh, there was just something uniquely American uh, about the way in which many of us have tried to pull together at this horrible time for the country. So I did want to get that message out. Uh, I also got a lot of flack, like, why didn't you talk about Joe Biden and sexual assault allegations? You know, people, they want to program the show. Well, on last week's show, we devoted like seven minutes to it. I was very tough on the New York Times and the Washington Post for waiting, what was it, 19 days before reporting these allegations by Tara Reid. And um, also, you know, at that time, CNN hadn't even mentioned it. A couple of the other networks hadn't even mentioned it. I said there was a double standard. We devoted a lot of time to it. Um, but I don't do the same stories every week. And we just chose to focus about 98% of the show on the coronavirus. When there are more developments, I know there have been incremental developments. When there are more, we will revisit it uh, on our program. Uh, meanwhile, I don't know if you saw Brad Pitt playing Anthony Fauci on uh, SNL over the weekend. The skit wasn't that funny. I mean, the conceit of it was he's doing the Fauci, you know, down-to-earth guy who sounds like this. And he's contradicting Trump at every turn, whilst trying to sound kind of diplomatic about it. And it was, maybe it was just a little too close uh, to reality, but it was worth uh, trying to do. Um, 
I, I'm tempted not to do the usual five stories here. I sort of think that stories one through 17 should be uh, President Trump's tweet storm, uh, mostly against the media. I do want to spend some time on this because I think it's very revealing, and I will, I will come to uh, the fate of the briefings. But I'm going to do this in reverse chronological order, meaning the most recent. So one of the most recent presidential uh, tweets is a retweet from a conservative ex-NYPD guy named John Cardillo, President rather approvingly retreated, retweeting the following. Three failed coup attempts. One, Russia collusion hoax during campaign. Two, Mueller's sham. Well, those are kind of the same thing. Three, illegitimate impeachment. Do you really think these lunatics wouldn't inflate the mortality rates by underreporting the infection rates in an attempt to steal the election? And I'm like, what? Inflate the mortality rates, and if anything, it's probably undercounted. I mean, there are now more than 54,000 people who have died in America. I mean, this is according to the state-by-state the state reporting. Um, there's no credible evidence that this is being inflated. Are certain deaths being reported as coronavirus when it actually was something else, but brought on by complications from coronavirus? Maybe. Lunatics steal the election? I mean, I just don't understand why the president w- would retweet that. Okay, here are some others, just for your uh, educational and entertainment value. On the Washington Post, uh, which after the new White House press secretary, Kelly McEnany, complained that her quote, defending the president in a story, had been buried in the 20th paragraph, Trump, they are one of the worst in the, quote, news business. Total slime balls. Okay. Um, Alex Azar, HHS secretary, a couple of reports over the weekend, uh, in New York Times and elsewhere, that the president's considering replacing him. Uh, this is fake news, says the president. The lamestream media knows this, but they are desperate to create the perception of chaos and havoc. Alex is doing an ex- excellent job, except that he was kind of, uh, he had his role reduced. Uh, he was the leader of the task force. That job was given to Pence. And when was the last time you saw uh, Secretary Azar on TV? Uh, defending the administration's position. I mean, Anthony Fauci is on much more. Deborah Birx is on more than that. Um, clearly, they don't want him out there front and center. doesn't mean he's getting canned. And, you know, the stories didn't say he was definitely getting canned. What the president often does is when he asks other people, should I get rid of this person? And then the White House denies it. Now, ultimately, they do get rid of the person, but that, that, that may not happen here. A long uh, tweet about Fox News. Um, the president doesn't like when Fox interviews Democrats. He doesn't seem to think that that's um, appropriate journalism. Needless to say, I disagree. Fox News just doesn't get what's happening there, being fed Democratic talking points, and they play them without hesitation or research. Hello? Uh, They forgot that fake news CNN and MSDNC wouldn't let Fox News participate even a little bit in the poor ratings Democratic debate, Democrat debates. Well, that wasn't a decision made by CNN or MSNBC. It was made by the Democratic National Committee. It was a stupid decision. Most of the Democratic candidates ended up appearing on town halls with Fox News, which they mostly thought were fair. Uh, and the ones that didn't, like Elizabeth Warren, you know, it's their, it was their loss. Okay, continuing, even the radical left Demo- do-nothing Democrats laughed at the Fox suggestion. No respect for the people running Fox, but Fox keeps on plugging to try to become politically correct. You know, covering both sides uh, in politics or in a presidential campaign isn't politically correct. It's journalism. They put Rhino Paul Ryan on the board. He is on the board of the Fox Corporation. Uh, he actually was pretty supportive of uh, Trump when he was Speaker of the House, but I get that the president doesn't like him. They hired debate questions to Crooked Hillary uh, Donna Brazil. Yes, that's true. 
Uh, Chris Wallace is nastier to Republicans than even deface the nation or sleepy eyes. That's Chuck Todd. Uh, actually, Chris Wallace is the best interviewer in the television business and the fairest interviewer in the television business. He gives everybody a hard time, including the president, including cabinet members, and including Democrats. Uh, the people who are watching Fox are angry. They want an alternative now. So do I. Okay, I guess Fox is no longer, uh, at least the Fox News division, because he obviously uh, praises some of the conservative commentators who frequently, but not always, support him, uh, much more so than he does the news uh, coverage. Okay, um, the president also went off, and I'll come back to this in segment two. Um, he went off on a New York Times story that was sort of behind the scenes. This is what he does all day. And it said sometimes he doesn't show up in the Oval Office until noon. Uh, he's monitoring TV very carefully in the mornings. It talks about who he calls and what he does. It didn't say that he was lazy or not doing his job. I guess you could read it that way. The president certainly did. Here's the tweet. I work from early in the morning until late at night. Haven't left the White House in many months, except to launch hospital ship Comfort, in order to take care of trade deals, military rebuilding, etc. And then I read a phony story in the failing NY Times about my work, schedule, and eating habits, written by a third-rate reporter who knows nothing about me. I will often be in the Oval Office late into the night and read and see that I am angrily eating a hamburger and Diet Coke in my bedroom. There was talk about late-night snacks. Uh, Okay, Wall Street Journal editorial writers, if they had called, uh, as they should have, they would have easily found out that I was not happy with the Georgia governor on Tuesday night. You said the opposite. You got it wrong, as you often do. All right. Now, Uh, The Wall Street Journal editorial page, by the way, also uh, said a week or two ago and got slammed by the president that the briefings, remember, this is a conservative editorial page that often supports Donald Trump on policy. So the briefings are hurting him, not helping him, and he should cut back on them or stop doing them. And that leads me uh, to the most newsworthy tweet um, in this storm over the weekend. Just scrolling up here. Okay. Uh, And this obviously follows the absolute tsunami of criticism over what happened on Thursday when the president, not in response to a reporter's question, but he was talking to Dr. Burks and he was talking to uh, a guy from Homeland Security saying he was he was spitballing, he was speculating out loud, maybe we could find a cure if we could inject ultraviolet light into the body or disinfectant into the body. And then there was a follow-up question from a Washington Post reporter who got slammed by Trump. Uh, and as we know, um, that got You know, I mean, it was just, he was pounded by everybody. His Republican allies were saying, see, this has just gone too far. Um, Almost nobody was defending it, who wasn't on the White House payroll. Um, And what happened is, that was on a Thursday. On Friday, the president took a couple of questions at an afternoon event in which he said he was just being sarcastic. You know, let me just digress for a minute here. I've watched the media take funny lines that Trump has issued, has uttered, um, uh, tongue-in-cheek things, where he is being sarcastic, and blow them way out of proportion. This was not that. This was a long, serious disquisition about disinfectant and sunlight and ultraviolet light and all of that. But after the White House said, blame the media, he said sarcastic. So that brings me to uh, the most important tweet here, which is... What is the purpose of having White House news conferences when the lamestream media asks nothing but hostile questions and then refuses to report the truth or facts accurately? They get record ratings and the American people get nothing but fake news. Not worth the time and effort. So what happened after that? Friday night, the president spoke but took no questions for the first time in forever. 
and the news, the, the briefing was much shorter. Saturday, no briefing. Sunday, no briefing. Now, I don't think he has to do it on the weekends, but he's done it every weekend since, since mid-March, and it's been taken live on cable news. I don't know what's going to happen today. There is a briefing on the official schedule. It may not happen. It could be short. Maybe he won't take questions. Maybe we'll take a few questions. But clearly, he wants to blame the media for the decision to cut back, even though many of people, maybe Republicans, people have said this publicly, even people like Lindsey Graham, that it's too much. That And, you know, these, these some of these briefings go on for an hour and a half or two hours. Yesterday on Media Buzz, Ari Fleischer, former George W. Bush press secretary, he had been saying for a couple of weeks that the president should seriously cut back on these briefings, that they do go on too long, uh, that they're too much about him. And he had a funny line. He said, you know, the way the briefings go on and on and on, it's like being in a bar in two in the morning. Anything that's good is going to happen has already happened. What he's saying is if you're talking for an hour, an hour and a half, two hours, that's when you make mistakes. That's when you stumble. That's when nothing good is going to come of it. I did point out the president wouldn't be in a bar. He does not drink. But Ari uh, was making a point. Now, the sarcasm defense has popped up uh, once again. Uh, boy, this is going to take about a half hour for me to do, folks. So strap in. Don't worry. Don't worry. We'll, we'll get moving on to other things soon. So the president had this tweet in which he said that the reporters, you know, let me just switch screens here because I got the exact uh, thing here. All right. When will all the, quote, reporters who have received Nobel Prizes, N-O-B-L-E, he meant Nobel, for their work on Russia, 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 only to have been proven wrong, and in fact it was the other side that committed the crimes, be turning back their pre- pre- cherished nobles. Okay, he misspelled it. He obviously meant Pulitzer Prizes. That got a lot of attention. And then, here's the other tweet. Does anybody get the meaning of what a so-called noble, not Nobel Prize is? In other words, saying he, he deliberately used noble. Especially as it pertains to reporters and journalists, noble is defined as, quote, having or showing fine personal qualities or high moral principles and ideals. Does sarcasm ever work? Well, uh, it doesn't work when uh, it's not obvious to anybody. Don't go anywhere. More BuzzMeter coming your way in just a moment. All right, let me move on here because there was a story in the New York Post over the weekend that clearly was done with extensive White House cooperation. And it was designed specifically to counter the New York Times story that I just mentioned about what the president does behind the scenes and um, that he's watching a lot of TV and so forth. New York Post. President Trump's schedule is so packed amid the coronavirus crisis that he sometimes skips lunch, his aides told the Post refuting a report that the commander-in-chief spends his days obsessing over TV coverage and eating fries. White House staffer said the president works around the clock and can make five dozen work-related calls a day during the pandemic. Here's how you know the White House wanted this story. The new White House chief of staff, Mark Meadows, who isn't interviewed much, they, he was trotted out. Quote, I can tell you the biggest concern I have as a new, White House, a new chief of staff is making sure he gets some time to have a quick bite to eat. I can tell you that he will go back and have a lunch just off the Oval Office, and more times than not, it is interrupted by several phone calls, says Meadows. If he gets more than 10 minutes of time in a given day, I haven't seen it in the five weeks I've been here. Uh, There are times when lunch isn't even a thought, said another official. Uh, A lot of the time, there is no time for lunch, or there is 10 minutes for lunch. And it mentions by name, the account in the New York Times claimed Trump lingers in his bedroom, President tweeted, I work from early in the morning to late at night. I mentioned that. And then another White House official gave the Post his schedule. 
Uh, so on Wednesday, two dozen morning calls starting at 6.30 in the morning. On Thursday, 18 work-related calls from the private quarters, including four with foreign leaders. On Friday, he began the day with another four calls of foreign leaders. It just goes on and on and on. I, you know, I'm not disputing any of this. I think this president works hard. You can tell because he's t- tweeting, you know, one in the morning and then he's up at 6.30 in the morning. Uh, it doesn't mean that everything in the New York Times story wasn't true, but let's just say the president wanted another version of events. All right, story number three. New York Times uh, has to do with, uh, well, I'll just read you the beginning of it. Uh, his White House news briefing on the coronavirus on March 19th, so this is last month. President Trump offered high praise for the commissioner of the FDA, Stephen Hahn. He's worked like probably as hard or harder than anybody. Then he corrected himself, uh, other than maybe Mike Pence or me. Uh, And it goes through some of his greatest hits. March 27th, uh, Trump said, nobody's ever done anything like we've been able to do. And everything I took over was a mess. It was a broken country in so many ways. It goes on and on and on. And here's the the nut graph, as we call it in the business. The self-regard, the credit-taking, the audacious rewriting of recent history. Remember, this is a news story. To cast himself as the hero of the pandemic. Rather than the president who is slow to respond, such have been the defining features of Mr. Trump's use of the bully pulpit during the coronavirus outbreak. So the Times had three reporters analyze 260,000 words just from the briefings uh, and other presidential remarks since March 9th when the outbreak outbreak really started to disrupt things here in the U.S. of A. Uh, Here's the Times count. The most recurring utterances from Trump are self-congratulations, roughly 600 of them often predicated on exaggerations and falsehoods. He does credit others more than 360 times for their work, but he also blames others more than 110 times for inadequacies in the state and federal response. Okay, so 600 self-congratulations, 360 crediting others. Trump attempts to display empathy or appeal to national unity about 160 instances, or only a quarter of the number of times he has complimented himself or a top member of his team. So that is the New York Times taken. Then it goes on and on and on with all kinds of excerpts. And if you have nothing to do today and you're stuck at home, you can read all the, you can read many of the highlights or lowlights, depending on your point of view, of these presidential news conferences, briefings, pool sprays, photo ops, etc., etc. Okay, story number four. Guess who's endorsed Joe Biden now? It's really a shock. Nancy Pelosi. You know, well, look, they've rolled these things out. They're trying to get some attention. Look, uh, Biden is stuck in his basement. By the way, I now relate to people who are stuck in their basement. Uh, And there's a story uh, in the Washington Post today about how he's doing a podcast from there. Well, uh, welcome to the club, Joe. Uh, It's got like tens of thousands of hits, which, of course, pales compared to the five or six million watching Trump on TV. He mostly talks to... um, uh, you know, he talks to possible VP picks, Gretchen Whitmer, for example, Amy Klobuchar. He talks to Ron Klain, who used to be on his staff when he was vice president. He talks to Democrats, and they have these long sort of philosophical discussions. They, you know, they don't make much news. He talks about how he likes Fig Newtons and peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Uh, look, good for him. Uh, it's, it's a different way of communicating, a way of being under the radar, so to speak. Anyway, getting back to the Speaker of the House, she issued a video endorsing Joe Biden. This is after Bernie, after Obama, after Elizabeth of all, you know, closed ranks behind the party's virtual nominee. As we face coronavirus, says Nancy, Joe has been a voice of reason and resilience with a clear path to lead us out of this crisis. 
Also, um, let's see here. Uh, Biden did an interview with Politico's Mike Rumwald. Uh, and this is interesting. It's a write-up in the Washington Post. It says that he was, uh, Biden was calling for more guarantees that this paycheck protection program, that the money will land in the hands of small business owners, not just the big guys. And he said he wants aid to larger corporations to come with stronger oversight and prohibitions against stock buybacks and executive bonuses. Here's the quote. This is the second time we bailed their asses out, says former Vice President Joe Biden, referring both to major financial institutions and big businesses generally. Biden railed about banks like Wells Fargo that are, quote, only alive because of the American taxpayer, giving their large corporate clients the first shot at the CARES Act and intended for small businesses. Quoting again, we knew from the beginning that the big banks don't like lending to small businesses. I'm telling you, though, if Main Street businesses don't get help, they're gone. So this is Joe Biden, the populist, or striking populist notes. This is Joe Biden, the guy who took Amtrak back to Delaware every day when he was a senator for 36 years. Uh, This is Joe Biden trying to appeal to the left wing of his party by saying, big businesses um, shouldn't be getting all this money. What about the little guy? What about the hardware store? What about the guy who's got the diner? And there's some truth in that. A lot of these, a lot of small businesses were shut out which is why Congress just passed and the president just signed this second phase, another $350 billion. But we'll see who snatches that up. Uh, but also, I think Biden is concluding or is being advised by his uh, you know, kitchen cabinet to, to be a little bit more populist, to, not to rant and rave like Bernie, uh, all respect to Bernie Sanders, but um, to be on the side. I mean, that's the standard classic Democratic position. We're on the side of the little guy, the mom and pop. The small businessmen, we, we, we're suspicious of Wall Street, big banks, big corporations. Um, of course, it was the Bush administration that issued the, uh, the bailout bill in 2008 during the financial crisis. And it was the Obama administration in 2009 that bailed out General Motors. You know, when you're governing, when you're in charge and you're facing a collapse of big banks or a collapse of one of the nation's three biggest automakers, you know, it looks very different than when you're in the opposition and you can take pot shots. But anyway, that's what Biden is doing. And finally, story number five. Well, I got one one kicker for you. Brett Stevens, conservative New York Times columnist, says the following. um, The COVID-19 crisis is really a New York crisis. As of Friday, he says, there were more uh, COVID-19 fatalities on Nassau County in Long Island, population 1.4 million, than of all of California, population 40 million. More fatalities in Westchester County, New York, 999, than in all of Texas, 611. So he goes on to say that the whole country is being locked down and there's dwindling sympathy because basically, you know, so many, with some exceptions, like meatpacking plants in Chicago or food processing plant in South Dakota, Half of this is a New York City area problem, and yet Americans are being told they must still play by New York rules. Well, my take on that is, look, first of all, if these other states reopen too quickly, if these other states reopen too quickly, um, they're going to see a spike in their number of, of COVID cases and their number of deaths. Yes, New York by far is the epicenter of this. It's the most densely packed place. If not on the planet, maybe you know Tokyo or some other city has that honor or a city uh, in, uh, in India, but certainly in the United States of America with the subways and the high-rises and just, you know, the 8 million people in the five boroughs and then the people, you know, in the surrounding counties. Uh, that's why New York has hurt so badly. But in the past, for example, when New York and Washington got hit on 9-11, the country rallied behind New York. 
And now this is, I think, just an effort to say, you know, New York, bunch of liberal elitists, Bill de Blasio, Andrew Cuomo. Um, I don't know. I don't agree with it at all. I do think states have to make their own decisions, but then you have a state like Georgia, Republican Governor Trump's criticized him, Brian Kemp, for reopening too quickly. I don't think the whole country has to play by New York rules. I do think that New York um, deserves the support of the country, uh, and we shouldn't just say, oh, this is the crazy people in New York, therefore, and, and, you know, and they're just, you know, uh, you know, it is also true that New York City is partially to blame, because Bill de Blasio uh, went on and on and on saying, no, I'll go out to bars and party. He was very late in locking down the city. So that should be mentioned as well. And just as a kicker, story number six, if you will, uh, Chris Matthews, you know, uh, was bounced out of MSNBC after a two-decade career there. And the triggering point was a piece written by Laura Bassett in GQ in which she said he'd flirted with her in the makeup room and said, you know, you look beautiful and all that. And for the first time, uh, Chris Matthews has spoken out in an interview with Vanity Fair. And here's what he had to say. I didn't argue about it. I didn't deny it. I accepted the credibility of the complaint in the article. I didn't want to challenge the person that made the complaint and wrote the article. I thought the article, I thought it was very credible. And certainly within the person's rights to write that article, of course, they are, that was highly justified. Basically, as I said, I repeat to myself, to repeat myself, it's inappropriate in the workplace to compliment somebody on their appearance. This is in the makeup chair and I did it. Well, he complimented lots and lots of women, sometimes on the air, sometimes off the air. So it wasn't just this one uh, piece in GQ, but that was the sort of the camel that broke the straw, excuse me, that broke the camel's back. Now, um, there were other reasons that Chris Matthews was pushed out that are not addressed in this piece. He kept making mistakes. He compared, you know, Bernie Sanders' campaign to Nazi Germany. He mixed up a couple of African-American politicians. Uh, at 74, the network's feeling was it was time for him to retire. None of that got addressed. However, I give him credit for manning up, so to speak, and saying, yeah, I did this. I was wrong. I'm not going to try to weasel my way out of it. And then, of course, he spent the rest of the article talking about his handicapping of the campaign. And he's writing a memoir. So we'll get to hear more of the sayings of Chris Matthews when this Simon Schuster book comes out. Uh, hope you're all doing well. Hope you had a good weekend. Hope you're social distancing. Uh, hope wherever you live, the things maybe are starting to get a little bit more back to normal. But obviously, it's, we got to be careful. we got to go slow. My heart breaks for the people who are out of work. At the same time, we don't want, want any more deaths than necessary from this horrid, horrid pandemic that America is still grappling with. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, in these ever-changing times, you can rely on Fox News for hourly updates for the very latest news and information on your time. Listen and download now at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts.